Your organic search is over. Here's Naturally Savvy with health experts Andrea Donsky and Lisa Davis. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. Andrea is away today. Now, I've been hearing this word a lot lately, micro. Biome. We're going to jump right in because we've got a lot to cover. We've got the doc- wonderful Dr. Robin Chetkin, MD, and she is one of the most recognizable gastroenterologists working in America today. And she's going to tell us all about the microbiome, in particular, the top five tips for creating a healthy one. Hello, Dr. Chetkin. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's so great to have you on. I should mention I recently got two wonderful lab brothers, or almost two, and they are the loves of my life. And that is one of the tips. So we'll get to that. But first of all, what is the definition? What is a microbiome? The microbiome refers to the trillions, about 100 trillion in all, of microbes that live in and on the human body, mostly bacteria, but it also includes viruses, fungi, protozoa, those little one-celled organisms, and worms, parasites. So we're talking about lots of microbes. Oh, really? Okay, so I mentioned one has to do with pets. Um, Why don't you start with that one? Yeah, so number one is get a pet. We have a congratulations on your two new additions to the family. We have one ourselves. We have Hurricane Hugo, who is rewilding us all. And some (laughs) of the data show that households that have pets, that kids have fewer infections and take fewer antibiotics. And that's because pets bring a little dirt into our lives, which we're now finding out is actually a good thing. Part of the problem with why we see so many people with overreactive immune systems and autoimmune disease is because they don't have enough exposure to germs, and the immune system doesn't get adequately trained to distinguish between friend and foe. So getting a pet is a great way to help to train your immune system. Oh, that's great. Well, I take my dogs to the woods every single day, so we got a lot of dirt running around here. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. All right. Another tip is avoid antibiotic use unless absolutely necessary. Yes. So there's no question that Sir Alexander Fleming's discovery of penicillin in the 1930s is still one of the greatest contributions to modern medicine, and it saved countless millions of lives. But we're in a different era now. We're in an era of overdiagnosis and overtreatment, and we're using these drugs to treat minor illnesses or things that they have no efficacy against at all. So, for example, the flu. The flu is caused by influenza virus, and antibiotics are antibacterial. They don't have any, any effect at all against viruses, but it's the first thing that people reach for if they have a minor illness that will resolve on its own or even if they have a viral illness against which antibiotics are ineffective. So we're overusing antibiotics. Conservative estimates suggest that half of all antibiotic use in this country is unnecessary, and what it leads to is resistance to antibiotics and the creation of superbugs, but it also leads to damage to the microbiome Just five days of a broad-spectrum antibiotic can remove about a third of your gut bacteria, and there's no guarantee that those species are all going to come back. So judicious use of antibiotics, avoiding them whenever necessary, is a really important part of having a healthy microbiome. Now, obviously, we've heard, well, I shouldn't say obviously, but a lot of us have heard that we want to be taking a probiotic, especially when you are taking antibiotics. And I I think we should be taking them anyway. I noticed that wasn't one of the top five tips. So is, I guess, creating a healthy microbiome is different than just like maintaining it? Or if you can explain that, because I was like, oh, where's the probiotics? Although you're the expert, not me. (laughs) You know, probiotics are sort of like vitamins in that sense. If you were deficient in a particular nutrient, then replacing it is a great idea. Your earlier guest was talking about vitamins 
vitamin D and how important it is to have normal vitamin D levels. But if you have a normal vitamin D level, taking extra vitamin D isn't going to do anything. And in fact, it could lead to vitamin D toxicity. So it's sort of the same for probiotics is that this idea that everybody needs a probiotic, just like, you know, the idea that everybody needs a vitamin. I don't think so. There's not really any data to suggest that that's helpful. What is helpful is making sure you're getting sufficient nutrients from food, making sure you're getting sufficient bacteria from food. So it's important for people to realize that the lifespan, probiotic means live bacteria, by the way. And so when you take a probiotic, those bacteria might only survive inside you for 20, 30 minutes, maybe an hour. And then they, they die and pass right out. In order to really colonize the gut and repopulate the microbiome, you have to be feeding them the right food so that they can stick around long enough to reproduce and really to grow and enhance a population of healthy bacteria. And we do that by feeding our bacteria lots of indigestible plant fiber, foods high in inulin like leeks and artichokes and asparagus. So if you're taking probiotics and you're eating you know, junk food, you are not really going to do any repopulating. You're just taking the probiotic, the bacteria are living for a while, and then they're passing out. So that's why a probiotic is sort of secondary after the diet. And also, people have this notion that I take an antibiotic and I just cancel out the antibiotic by taking a probiotic, but that's not how it works at all. You know, we talked about that daunting statistic of an antibiotic, five days of a, of a powerful antibiotic removing a third of the gut bacteria. That can take weeks, months, or even years to come back through careful attention to the diet and use of a robust probiotic. So this idea that, oh, I took a couple weeks of probiotic, all is well, is really a little bit of magical thinking. Oh, my God. I am so glad you came on today because I am learning a ton. So that one of the tips is eat lots of fibrous plants. You mentioned artichoke and asparagus. Are there any others that you'd recommend? Yes. Yeah, so all the foods that are high in inulin are what really seem to get our microbes humming. So lentils are great. Oats are great. Mm-hmm. Resistant starches like green banana. I boil the green bananas, so uh, basically an unripened banana. I boil them and then mash them and eat them like mashed potatoes, and they're delicious. You can use green banana flour for baking. So these are all foods that are great for the microbiome. Also fermented foods, because fermented foods like sauerkraut, which is fermented cabbage, is really a twofer. You're getting the fiber from the cabbage, which is helping to feed your gut bacteria. And then during the process of fermentation, you're enhancing the lactobacillus population in the cabbage. And so when you eat the sauerkraut, you're getting live bacteria plus great indigestible fiber. So fermented foods, kimchi, sauerkraut, these are great foods to be eating for your microbiome. Oh, definitely. Now, this is one that I need to do. Skip the hand sanitizer. When I go to the grocery store and they have those sanitizing cloths, I always wipe down down the cart. Well, that's Should I be just walking right by that? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we've been misled to believe that somehow cleanliness is associated with health, and now we're finding it's actually just the opposite. We need more dirt in our lives. The problem with hand sanitizers, too, is that many of them contain a chemical called triclosan, which disrupts our endocrine system and can lead to thyroid problems and so on, but it's also very harmful to bacteria. So most of the bacteria you would encounter, for example, on a shopping cart handle are harmless bacteria that don't pose a threat to you. Now, during cold and flu season, just hand washing with warm water and soap is a good idea. But again, keep in mind that hand sanitizers that are antibacterial don't have any efficacy against viruses. And flu is caused by a virus. So again, it's just a little bit of confusion about what we're actually treating. And washing your hands with warm water and soap and scrubbing 
I think the recommendation is for about 20 seconds or how long it takes to sing happy birthday twice. That dislodges viruses and bacteria that can get trapped in the skin cells, and that's really all you need to do. Oh, that was so interesting what you just said about the hand sanitizer not getting rid of the flu virus. I think a lot of people think that. I've never really thought about it, but I always assumed I'm protected when I use my hand sanitizer. The other thing, too, is the best protection against these viruses is having a healthy immune system. How do you get a healthy immune system? By avoiding antibiotics that kill off your gut bacteria, which are an integral part of the immune system, and by eating lots of plants, lots of fruits and vegetables. So that's ultimately going to be way more helpful than hand sanitizer. All right. We talked about getting a pet. The last one is plant a garden. And we only have about 30 seconds. Talk to us about this. Plant a garden so that you can come up close and personal to soil microbes, which are incredibly beneficial. And you can also grow something green that's high in fiber that you can eat. So that's another two for all. So planting a garden, opening the windows, just letting a little bit of nature in. This has been so fantastic. I have learned a ton, and I'm sure our listeners have as well. Again, I've been speaking with Robin Chutkin, MD, her book, The Microbiome Solution. You can follow her at Dr. Chutkin, D-R-C-U-T-C-K-A-N. Be sure to keep her in mind and check out her great work. So glad you all listened today. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Your Radio MD and at Naturally Savvy. Do all those great things and stay well. Have a great day. Bye-bye.